morning. Let's worship the Lord here today. I thought I knew what I was talking about When I testified of your great love I was a soul on fire, there was no doubt Bible believing, saved and washed in the blood But it wasn't Let's start this again. There's no click track. You guys know we're cheating. Good job, Jack. We're cheating. I didn't hear it. There it is. There we go. I thought I knew what you would. What? Where's Justin? No, I'm just joking. I thought I knew what I was talking about. When I testified of your great love I was a soul on fire, there was no doubt Bible believing, saved and washed in the blood But it wasn't till I stumbled and made my mistake That I could know in my soul how amazing was grace You brought me blessings out of a tragedy I'm a new creation. 
right. Don't you love how it said you brought me blessings out of a tragedy? Boy, would that happen.
I just thank you that we are that we know that we are in a battle, but you are our, our God and nothing can stand against you. So Lord, your Holy Spirit as it fills this place today and anybody in the sound of my voice, God, I know we are all going through some sort of battle. And so God, I just pray that your Holy Spirit would just, just go before us, guide us and direct us and strengthen us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You can say, hey, the battle belongs to him, to two people and everybody else, our kids can go to uh, Haven Kids. I'm getting better. <laughs> um, hello, online friends out there. I know you're watching, and I hope you're having a good time because we're going to have a good time here. Um, I just have to say a few words. We had a ladies' conference this weekend. It was amazing. And that's all I'm allowed to say about that. <laughs> all the other secrets are staying at the conference in Lancaster. It was amazing. We learned a lot, we loved a lot, and uh, there was a lot of God in the room. And uh, we were blessed that 11 of our ladies were able to go. So we're very excited about that. Um, I want to remind everybody, because I was being bad and had to go get my glasses, um, this Friday is our cutoff for our retreat, so you've got to get signed up. We have 33 women signed up. If each of you sign up a friend and bring them, then we're going to hit 66, so we're going to almost hit our goal. So you all think about that. Get somebody signed up this week and clean out your purses and bring them next Sunday and give them to me so we can do a purse exchange, okay? It's all good. Um, 
we have a lot of prayers for healing today. Um, Ruth's sister's Debbie, she's finished her chemo, getting ready to go in for surgery. And after surgery, we'll be hitting another round of chemo. So we really want to lift her. And also this week, her husband found out he has prostate cancer. So that family's really struggling. So let's keep Ruth and her um, sister Debbie and family in prayer. Um, Pam, Sandy's sister is going through five days a week for five weeks of chemo radiation. So we definitely want to keep her in our prayers. Um, I've been through that. It's a rough road and, you know, a lot of just we'll keep praying. We'll just keep praying. Um, Jen Wilcox, her dad is in the hospital with AFib. We'll keep him in prayer. And uh, Patty Miller, we're going to lift Patty today because she's had one heck of a week. Her friend Debbie is going through chemo, and it's a very aggressive cancer, so we, we want to keep you in prayer for that. And one of her best friend's daughter, who's 25 years old, was killed in a car accident in Delaware this week. So, you know, we don't know why, but Patty, we're praying for you. And her brother Ricky is also having some health issues. So we need to remember to lift one another up because we're all going through something. Um, Emily, her granddaughter, our, our granddaughter, um, and grandson Jake need prayers for a family situation, and we will lift them in prayer. Wesley, for Steve Ottinger, who has uh, a torn bicep, we'll see if we can get that fixed, okay? So we'll keep him in prayer. Um, and all of those who didn't give me your prayer cards, and you have some prayers you don't want to talk about, it's okay. We'll keep lifting them in prayer. And Jen, you're doing an amazing job with the youth. We're just so excited to see them growing and just blowing up this place. It's awesome. Um, we're going to go to the Lord in prayer. We're going to put our hands on our knees. And we're going to tell God whatever's on our heart, whether it be heavy, whether it be light, whether it be right, whether it be wrong, give it to God. One thing I learned this weekend is we all have to push, pray until something happens, keep talking to God every day. He's there. He's listening. Walk in his word. That's where you'll find him. We want to pray to him for healing, for financial repair, for relation repair, all those things that are on our heart that God can handle. It's all his, and we have to give it to him. I pray for these things, and I pray for Jack today as he brings us our message. I pray for Haven Church as we are busting out our seams, and I'm excited. So I just want everybody to know God is good, and he's good for all of us. So in Jesus' name, we pray these things. Amen.
All right, how are we doing? Good stuff, good stuff. Yeah, it's, uh, it feels like fall, doesn't it? And I say it's going to get a little warmer and stuff, but who knows. I'm, uh, I know the uh, pool needs to close because I'm tired of taking uh, leaves out of it. Anybody know what I'm talking about there? So it's all good. Good to have everybody here today. Um, we are in a series. Um, we're in week four of You Really Wanted to Know, and it's a series just of some questions that you may have or others um, in the Christian faith may have. And today we're going to talk about the real battle. One of the things I do want to... Um, to tell you is, is to highlight that is a newer announcement up there, the announcement on um, Disciple 4. Um, it, the original was to last about was to last 30 some weeks. We're not doing that. We're going through and we're, we're picking and choosing and we are going to get it down to about 24 or less weeks. And um, main reason is we're going to talk about uh, John, the Gospels of John and the letters of John and some of the other letters and Revelation. We're going to really get into Revelation. We had a, a, a good um, feedback from the last series, um, I'll Be Back, which dealt with the end times things. So we're going to meet on Tuesday. The first week will be the 17th. Um, and so um, we'll just be here for about, uh, it's like uh, 90 minutes, right about that. And then we'll, we'll go, so probably 6.30 through that time. And we'll have a great time and really dig in. If you, if you really enjoyed that series, we're going to dig in a lot more with some Old Testament stuff too as well. All right? So I want to dig in today because today's topic is the real battle. And, um, and you know, this is a message if, you know, I don't, Satan hates whenever we, we talk about God or glorify him and gather, but particularly when we're talking about the real battle. And so what we're talking about is one of the things that we recognize is there is a spiritual world. And and even there's a physical world, there's a spiritual world that influences us. And what I recognize is there are Christians today who may even deny the gifts of the Holy Spirit, but even more so there are Christian people and non-Christian people especially, but there are Christian people who actually deny the existence of Satan or demonic powers or the spiritual warfare. And I'm not going to dig into deep theology, but what I want to do, I just want to share with you from what I understand and what I've been taught over the years about this area. And you can't talk about this without going to Ephesians chapter 6. So Ephesians chapter 6, the Apostle Paul wrote for us, and he says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. So right there, here's the Apostle Paul telling us that there is a devil and he's got schemes. And that word for us is actually one that where we get our term method from. And he says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood. And does that, does that mess with you? Because I have a lot of struggle with people in flesh and blood. Flesh and blood means not only my own, but I have a lot of struggle with other people. Anybody got some other people? Anybody been annoyed by somebody this week? Amen. All right, okay. Um, if you didn't raise your hand, you're the one who's annoying everyone else, just to let you know. But um, Paul says, but it's not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So Paul describes what we're up against. It's a very well-organized, ranked army um, that is attacking us with Satan as the head commander. And so what do we do? He says this, um, Therefore, everybody say therefore. And you've heard me say before that if you see a therefore, you've got to find out what it's there for. Okay, so therefore, what does he say? Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, notice it doesn't say if, everybody knows, it says what? 
when, that means get ready, it's coming. Um, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you've done everything else, to stand. So the end goal is, is not to remove a battle from us or to say that we're not going to be in the battle. The end goal is so that after the battle, we can still be standing, all right? And so he says, so stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with a breastplate of righteousness in place, with your feet fitted in readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for the Lord's people. This is Ephesians chapter 6, and it gives us a glimpse of the spiritual battle that we're in. And that there are spiritual forces that come against us. And so today I'm just going to share um, from my experience in my lifetime. And I do want to tell you in my experience as a human and my experience personally uh, and my experience as a pastor, whenever someone has a mountaintop experience, there's usually the devil waiting for you in some form or fashion. You know what I mean? Like you have this great experience and bam, here you go. He's, he's waiting right there in some ways. And, and so I what I wanted to do is I wanted to start very quickly and give you a couple things to recognize that we, what we see is not, all, is not all that there is. That's not all there is there. And so the first principle I want to give to you that we need to remember is that you are not alone in your battles. It may seem like it. Anybody ever felt alone when you're going through something? And you're not alone. You're never alone in your battles. And in 2 Kings Chapter 6, there's a great story. This is when Elisha, not Elijah, but Elisha was a prophet in Israel, and he had a servant, and they were going out to fight a battle against the king of Aram, and the king of Aram uh, came, and he was attacking them, and they had so many troops, and the servant looks out, and he sees nothing but the, the, the forces of Aram, and he's like, uh-oh, we're done for, and he's really upset, and and so it's, here's what it says. It says, when the servant of, man, of the man of God, that's Elisha, got up and went out early in the morning, an army with horses and chariots surrounded the city. So imagine you go to sleep tonight and you wake up and you're surrounded by horses and chariots or you're surrounded by tanks and infantry, right? Are you going to be like, uh-oh, are you going to be like, how many are going to go, kids, what did you do? Okay. Some of us may say that. And, you know, and the funny thing is, if you have multiple kids, you know which one you would ask if you did that. But anyway, um, so that's what's happened. He's about ready to lose it because he sees his impending death is facing him. So he looks out, he sees horses, chariots, all sorts of troops. And he says, we're outnumbered. There's no way out. And then I love this section here. In verse 17, it says, and Elisha prayed, O Lord, open his eyes that he may see. And it says, the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked, and he saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. God gave him a glimpse of the spiritual world that even though there was flesh and blood that looked like it was going to attack him and kill him, when he looked, he said, oh, those who are for me are greater than those against me in the spiritual realm. And so it's a great Great avenue that what we, when we're going through something and we're looking at a situation, we aren't seeing everything that's there, and we need to pray and have God open our eyes. There's a second story and a second reality that gives us an important principle, and it's this. You need to recognize your prayers 
are more powerful than you really know. There have been times when you pray and it feels like nothing's happening. Many of us may say most of the time that we pray, we feel like, we're, like not, not much is going on. And you, but you need to recognize that your prayers are more effective than you really know. Also in the Old Testament, there was a guy named Daniel. And if you ever want to look at, a, at an amazing study of uh, somebody who was devoted to God, look at the life of Daniel. He was taken captivity when he was a young boy. He spent his entire life in captivity through several different kings, and yet, um, and yet God uh, was always favorable to him. We know him from Daniel in the lion's den, but he did so much, much more. And so um, Daniel had this one time when he was praying and praying and praying, and apparently nothing was going on. And then one day, a messenger angel came to him to deliver, to deliver this message. So Daniel is praying. How many of you ever prayed and prayed and prayed, and you felt like giving up because nothing's happening? Daniel is here, and he's still praying. He's still praying. And this angel comes, messenger angel says, don't be afraid, Daniel, which I would have been afraid right there because an angel pops in and tells me something, right? It says, since the first day you began to pray for understanding and humbled yourself before God, your request has been heard in heaven. So here's what's interesting. Daniel's praying, 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 and not seeing any change. But the moment he prayed, God heard in heaven. Now, you say, okay, well, why didn't he do anything? Well, hold on here, because God was already working in the spirit realm, even though David didn't see anything happening around him. And the angel went on to say, I have come in answer to your prayer. And here's what he explained in verse 13. For 21 days, the spirit of the prince of the kingdom of Persia, that is a reference to Satan, blocked my way. Then Michael, one of the archangels, came to help me. What you recognize is, and we're going to talk about this a little bit, Satan is not equal to God. He's more equal to the archangels because that's what he was. So, so this, this messenger angel couldn't get to Daniel. And so what happened? Michael shows up and says, hey, you want some of this? And then he went ahead. That's my version, all right? Um, and then he, he locked him up enough so the messenger angel could get the answer to his prayer to him. And here's what he says. I left him there, Michael there, with the prince with uh, the spirit prince, king of Persia. Now I am here to explain what will happen um, to your, uh, your people in the future. Daniel had been praying, 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 and he didn't think anything was happening, but there was a battle going on in the spiritual realm that he didn't know, and God said, Michael, go get it, all right? And freed it up for that answer prayer. And so many of us need to not give up in prayer. 21 days, there's a battle going on in heaven. And so there's a real battle going on right now, and the battle is not against flesh and blood. We're told that it's against powers and principalities, and we do have a spiritual enemy. His name is Satan, the devil, whatever you want to call him, um, and he hates everything to do with God, and he hates anything that God loves. Therefore, he hates you because you love God and God loves you. As stated earlier, anytime we have this mountaintop experience, um, with the Lord, Satan in some fashion wants to cut our legs out from under us. Uh, like, for instance, it, it happened with Jesus. So if it happened with Jesus, it should happen with us. Jesus took some of his close uh, disciples up with him to the mountaintop. And right there, we learned that he made a metamorphosis or transfigured into his glorious self. We call it the transfiguration. Right there, and, and they're having this amazing worship moment 
Simon Peter wants to build some tents to just hang out forever. But here's Jesus and his glorified self. And then you have Moses and Elijah. And you're, wow, this is a pretty cool thing. And as soon as they, they're coming down from the mountaintop, like, can you imagine Simon Peter and James and John and going, wow. Whew. They're probably feeling like this is the greatest worship ever. And right, they get down to the bottom of the mountain. And there was a man there who said, ran right up to Jesus, hey, can you do something? I, my son is inflicted with an evil spirit, and your disciples could do nothing. Right there, coming off the mountaintop, bam, they're hit again with the forces of evil. Satan's meeting Jesus right there, and the disciples right away. And for those of you who've been down the road a little bit, have a little bit of years on your life, I can guarantee you that the surest thing is that when you're coming from a mountaintop experience, Satan is going to be right there to try to steal that from you or deny that it ever happened one way or the other. And so what I do understand about spiritual warfare is there is a cosmic struggle. And we see this. It happened from the earliest part in Genesis. And when I read the Bible, this, this world was for us to, to be in charge of and to, to subdue is what we're told to do. And that happened uh, from the beginning and the, in Genesis, it says, let them rule over the earth, fill the earth, and subdue it. In Psalm 8, 6, it says, you made them, us, rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet. And so this would be a place where we would exercise for God dominion over his creation. But in Genesis 3, we have the story of the fall where Adam and Eve messed it up. And from that point, they not only fell into sin, but what we learned, they also gave something up. They gave up dominion and rule of this world to Satan himself when they fell. They surrendered the lordship of this creation to him. It was intended for us, and yet through sin, we went ahead and handed it over to him. So now Satan is called, has another name. He's called the God of this world, in which the apostle Paul addresses him in 2 Corinthians. Jesus himself referred to Satan as the ruler of this world. So they had no, no qualms or no issues with calling him that. And so when Jesus was tempted, Satan took him up and said, I'll give you all this, which has been given to me. Who gave it to him? Not God. We did. All right? Do you ever realize that? We actually gave away our rights in dominion on the earth through sin and death. And so he couldn't give it away if he didn't have it, but he had it because we gave it away to him. And so when, he's, when we look at this, when the risen Christ spoke to the Apostle Paul, he said, hey, I'm sending you to the Gentiles to open their eyes that they may turn from darkness to light, from the dominion of Satan to God. And what we learn is that God views two dominions here. He looks at the kingdom of God, which is his, and then he looks at the kingdom or dominion of Satan. So you're, you don't get to choose where you're going to, you don't get to say, okay, I'm in both or I'm going to be here. No, you're either in one or the other, according to the Lord. And how do we get to the kingdom of God? We accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And so what we have here is that's what God wanted from the beginning, for us to turn from him. Now, I know I'm running through a lot really quickly because I got a lot to cover today because this is big. But one of the things I want to do, I'm going to talk a little bit about Satan. I want to get some things clear. Satan is not equal to God. As I said, he's an equal to uh, Gabriel or Michael and the archangels, which makes sense because we know of three archangels. One would have been Gabriel, one would have been Michael, Gabriel the messenger, Michael the warrior, and Lucifer the worshiper. 
Okay, we learn from Scripture that he was um, Lucifer, the shining one, and um, he, w- he was beautiful, and he was in charge of the worship in heaven. He does not have the attributes of, of God, of, all, of wisdom, and all-knowing, and all-powerful, um, or omnipresence. He can't be a- everywhere at once, but with a third of the heavens falling with him, he has a lot of forces and a lot of places that can mess with us. He has a big army working in conjunction with him. And their sole reason for existence is to get back at God through his creation. And that is you and me. All right? And so if there's anything that you can find consistently in the scripture, it is that there is a constant battle between Jesus, who is representing all that God is, the love of God, the, the, the desire for God wanting humans to, uh, to be created and loved and in fellowship with him, and also this battle with Satan, the adversary, who constantly is seeking to frustrate all that God has done through Jesus Christ. And so, um, in the language of my father, who was uh, one of the, the main people who, um, for a while, up and down the eastern seaboard, who would share things about spiritual warfare, he said that as he looks at it, I'm going to share this with you, that the this battle is pretty much, in the scripture, a seven-round heavyweight fight. Anybody like boxing? Anybody ever like boxing back in the day? Uh, and so there's, there's always a battle, and ding, ding. And I'm not talking about, like, Rocky, and, you know, even though Rocky's amazing. I'm talking about, like, you, there, there's blows back and forth. But here we go. Um, and so what I want to do is I want to show you in the scriptures... Because now Jesus is king of kings and lord of lords, so it's not much of a fight, just to let you know. Remember when I said he's coming back, he shows up and he says, that's it, and it's over, because Satan has no power against him. But let's look at this through the scripture. And, um, and so this seven-round fight between Jesus and Satan in the scripture, Jesus came in the world to save us, yes, from sin and death. But he also came in to destroy the works of Satan. In the Gospel of John, it says, the Son of God appear for this purpose, that he might destroy the works of the devil. And how does he do that? By saving the world from it. Because the world has been taken um, from us with him. So in Genesis, it says also that God said, one day there will be uh, one who is born of woman that will crush the head of Satan, although you will bruise his heel. So I believe in, in my life that through God's relationship, as I look in the Old Testament... Satan was constantly trying to, to short-circuit or to stop what God was trying to do. And so let's go to round one. Everybody help me. Ding, ding. All right, there we go. All right. So the first round is the birth of Jesus, the birth of Jesus Christ. You say, well, what in the world does Satan have to do with the birth of Christ? If you read the story about the Magi, the three wise men, they come from afar, doesn't mean that they were southern and came from afar, um, but they came from afar, and they went ahead and they came to Herod, who was the, self, the appointed king over the Jewish people by Caesar. And they came to him and said, hey, we're looking for the king of the Jews, this newborn king of the Jews, so that we can worship him. Herod, if you know anything about Herod, Herod was the most Hitler-esque person before Hitler. And Hitler was not, I mean, Hitler wasn't, but of course, Herod was also not a, a good guy. His life was filled with evil. He um, had his own wife and some of his own sons murdered because they were a threat that made, they may get old enough and may take over his reign. He did this constantly. And, um, 
And so he had that fear. So the wise men show up and tell him, and he says, oh, come back and tell me when you find him, because I want to go worship him too, which he didn't. What did he want to do? Wanted to kill him, wanted to murder him. So the magi or the wise men were warned in a dream, what we learned, not to go back because they said, hey, Herod wants to kill him. Joseph and Mary were, were warned, and they took off and went to Egypt. Herod said, uh-oh, I, I don't like that they didn't tell me. So this tells you about how much time went by from when, the, when Jesus was born and the Magi came and, and then left. Herod went, and some of, it's not something that we talk about a lot, but Herod sent soldiers to Bethlehem, and it's called the Slaughter of the Innocents. And he slaughtered every male child two years of age and younger. Okay, you with me? And so even though Herod is evil, I recognize that all source of evil comes from Satan himself. And I can't prove this, um, but I really believe because Satan is a created being and doesn't have all-knowing and all, all power and omnipresence, I really believe at this point he may have thought that he got Jesus. I can't prove it fully, but it just makes sense, and I'm going to show to you why. Because I think he would have got him, because if he didn't, don't you think he would have gone to Egypt and done some things? Don't you think he would have, like, as Jesus was growing up in Nazareth, he would have had, like, you know, a big board or a rock fall on him or something, you know what I mean? No, we don't hear any of that at all until round two. Everybody round two? There you go. Round two is Jesus' baptism and temptation. Baptism and temptation. When Jesus was baptized by John, here is John baptizing, and all of a sudden, and we're talking about John the Baptist or John the Baptizer, and all of a sudden, Jesus appears on the scene, and, and John says, there's the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And Jesus says, hey, time to be baptized. He says, hey, you should be baptizing me. And he says, no, I got to do this to fulfill all righteousness because Jesus wanted to relate to absolutely everything that we dealt with. So that's what happened. But, happened. but then in Matthew, after G, when Jesus is baptized, here's what happens. It says, as soon as Jesus was baptized, what happened? He went up out of the water, and at that moment, heaven was ripped open, right? Heaven was ripped open, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and resting on him. That's what that word alighting meant. And I'm like, I don't know why the NIV chose that because I had to pull out a dictionary and figure out what it meant. All right. Um, but that's what I'm, so you can use that today and make people think you're really intelligent. All right. So he did that. Then it says, um, and a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love and with him I am well pleased. Now, keep in mind, nothing evil that we know has happened to Jesus. No attempt on his life since back in Bethlehem. Okay, you with me? Everybody with me? Okay, hang in here. And so then he's baptized. God says, yoo-hoo, that's my boy. All right? I love him, and that's who he is. And that's what happens. And so we're like, okay. Now I want you to watch what happens next. In Matthew chapter 4, it says this. This is right after the God said, hey, Holy Spirit fell down. Boom, this is my boy. Then it says, then Jesus was led up into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit to be tempted by the devil. Okay, let's see what Luke says. Luke says, And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the desert for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. If you want to see how, what John said, what Mark says, here's what he says. 
And immediately, so John says he came up out of the water, was going, and then the Spirit said, I'm, I'm, I descended on you to chuck you out in the wilderness. And he drives him out in the desert, and he was in the desert for 40 days being tempted by Satan and was with the wild beast. Now, don't you think it's rather interesting that Satan didn't do anything except from the time of Herod till now for Jesus? Immediately when God says, that's my boy, what happens? The Spirit of God leads him out into the wilderness to be tempted. You know why? Because Jesus needed the Spirit of God to say, hey, I need you to go out here to, to go ahead and experience everything all humans have. I don't need the Holy Spirit to lead me into temptation. I don't need it for the devil to mess with me because that is a regular occurrence for Jack Cohen. Anybody with me? And so Jesus went out there, led by the Spirit, and dealt with not eating, dealt with everything that happened, and he was attacked time and time again. Why did Satan show up now? Because now he said, what? I missed him? You're kidding me. I thought we had him. I'm taking this in my own hands. Bam. And he went right there. And if you know the story, he begins to tempt him with several different things. And what's interesting, in this round one fight, here's Jesus at his weakest point before the crucifixion um, and his suffering and death, that he, he is, he's hungry, he's worn down, he's exhausted. Notice it happened after a mountaintop experience. And every time Satan challenged him, he did so to appeal to Jesus' humanity. Hey, do this, and I'll give you this. Bow down to me, and you'll have all this. Oh, hey, you're hungry? Why don't you? He t- he, Satan even took scripture and said, hey, God said, you know, you don't live by bread alone. Go ahead and turn these, these stones to bread. Go ahead and, and, and do this kind of stuff. Every time he appealed to something that he needed. Guess what? He doesn't change his tactics. You and I, when we are tempted, we are tempted by something that hits this. Am I right? Something that we need in our humanity. Something that we want. We want power. We want influence. We want, we want uh, feeling. We want whatever it is. And he's using the same tactics he did from the garden. And every time he, he used that, he said, hey, if you'll eat this, this will be met if you do that. And every time he did that, every time Jesus put him down by quoting the authority of the word of God, and Satan could not stand with the word of God. And in Luke chapter 4, verse 13, it says, when the devil had finished all the tempting, he left him until an opportune time. You ever have times where you're just getting beaten up and you're just like, oh my gosh, I just can't take this. And if you stay strong and you stand like the scripture said, you stand through that battle, that when you get through it, you're like, whoo, I made it through that. I want to warn you, he's just going away for a little bit. He's just waiting for you to, to get a little bit more, more, you know, like complacent, and then he's going to hit you again, hit you again. And that's what happens time and time again. Why? Because his entire existence is to hate you because he hates God, all right? That is round two. You ready? Round three. All right. Is the healing ministry of Jesus, the healing ministry of Jesus. Peter uh, announces this in the book of Acts when he tells us, that Jesus went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. And it's really interesting he used that language, that healing all who were oppressed by the devil. Because when you look at that, ultimately every bit of sickness is because of the devil, because he's the ruler of this world. God's original intention was that everything was good and that there would not be sickness and there would not be mourning and there would not be death. That was not God's intention. But through sin... 
and death, that occurred, and we handed over control of this world to Satan. He says, okay, here we go. I'll take it. Sin, death, die, suffering, boom, boom, boom. That's, we're living with him pushing the buttons right now in this world. And so when Jesus was healing, he was healing this, in this oppressive kingdom, which is ruled by Satan. And most of us will recognize that this suffering is not part of that abundant life that God has intended and promised us through Jesus. But we know that Jesus went around healing all. And so those who were oppressed were healed. And how many did Jesus heal? All of them that came to him. All of them that came to him. So that's part of this fallen world. That's round three. It's a quick one. Ready? Round four. This is deliverance or release from Satan's oppression. It's kind of what it's called today. And this is when we read this when Jesus stood up in Isaiah in his hometown, rolled over the scroll, and he said this. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives, set them free, and set free those who are oppressed. Now, I don't know if anybody really knew what he was talking about there. And I, I do believe that part of that setting us free is setting us free from the, the curse of sin and death. But I also believe that, according to what Peter said, he's also declaring that war on Satan's oppressive kingdom. Satan recognized, okay, here's, here's Jesus, here you go. Takes him out in the desert. They have the, the last the two rounds ago, they're... They're bam, 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 hitting around like that. And Jesus uses the word of God, overcomes it. And now he here at this point is saying, hey, guess what? I am calling war and battle back on you. I'm here. I'm here. And so he, he calls about deliverance from that. In Luke chapter 4, 36, when Jesus was doing this, this healing and, and causing people um, to be free from, from demon oppression, it says, amazed, the people exclaimed, what authority and power this man's words possess. Even evil spirits obey him and may flee at his command. It's interesting when the man who uh, was in the Gadara area was filled with uh, the a demon called legion, which is multiple demons, that it said he had incredible strength. He would cut himself. He would do all kinds of things. And, and when Jesus walked in, it said they shuddered and said, have you come to get rid of us before the appointed time? You say, they know that their time is limited. And Jesus said, no. And they said, well, can you send us somewhere? How about you send them into the pigs? And they went into pigs. And I had a seminary professor, who, when the pigs ran off the cliff, uh, a seminary professor said they were Jewish and they were just koshering the area, which I think is really kind of cool. But so, so even, even the demons obeyed Jesus. And what's really cool about this is these people said, we've not seen anything like this in Israel. Everything else that Jesus did had been done by Elisha and some of the great holy people in the Old Testament, except for evil spirits obeying him. And they, they freaked him out because, oh my gosh, who is this guy that when he says something, the evil spirits obey him? We've never seen anything like this. That's round four was deliverance. Ready for round five? Yeah. Round five is the storm on the Sea of Galilee. And it's, one, it's always been one of my favorite uh, stories. But Jesus, there's this little boat, and Jesus is asleep um, on a cushion. And I was thinking about this. Do you realize at that moment the entire church was in one boat? Think about it, right? The entire church was in one boat. You had Jesus asleep. And then you had all the disciples. If that sucker went down, you're done, right? There's the church. And um, if God had not come through, if the power hadn't been demonstrated, Satan would have a victory beyond all victories. So, and, and what I also think that's awesome about this is 
that many of the people on the boat were fishermen. Correct? We know like three or four were fishermen, all of them. And they woke up a mason or a carpenter to do something. Don't you find that very interesting? That tells you how bad the storm was. Like, what are we going to, maybe there's a hole in the boat. Can he fix it? I don't know what they were thinking. But they were like, somebody's got to do something. And so Jesus is asleep, and they were going across, and a wave could have capsized. It could have been a lightning strike. It could have been a number of other things. And it's interesting that the Apostle Paul in Ephesians refers to Satan as the prince of the power of the air. Now, I believe that storms are just natural, part of natural occurrences. I know there's pressure systems and there's winds and there's all kinds of other things. And I I do recognize that. But like with sickness and in health, it's all part of the world that Satan is allowed to be in charge of now. And so I fully believe that also many of the natural disaster, or as we wrongly call them, acts of God, we blame God for acts of Satan, that, that he actually does things like that in the history as he is referred that way. Why do I believe that? Because if you look at this verse, yes, storms come up on the Sea of Galilee. I've been on a boat in the Sea of Galilee when a storm came up, and it was pretty scary, and I was on a big powerboat because it gets really choppy. However, I believe with the whole church in a boat at one point, Satan says, let's kick this sucker up. And if you look, it says, Jesus was asleep in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. Disciples woke him and said, teacher, don't you care if we drown? And look what he does. He didn't get up and say, oh, give me an oar. He didn't say, batten down the hatches or erase the hatches or do whatever you need to do with the sail on the hatches. I don't know what you do with that, all right? But he didn't say any of that stuff. He didn't say, get a hold of the rudder. None of that stuff it said. It says, what did he do? He got up and he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, quiet, be still. And you know what happened? Foom. I bet you, I have this feeling like, because Jesus did, it's a good thing he said to the waves because all of creation would have gone Foom. right away. But he said to the, uh, he, he called out to the wind, rebuked the wind, and he went ahead to the waves and said, be still. And it says this, it said, and the wind died down and it was completely calm. And the disciple, and he said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Why do you still have no faith? And they were terrified. You notice they're, they're more afraid now than when the storm was there. They're terrified and they said to each other, Who in the world is this that even the winds and the waves obey him? Now, what I find interesting is that Jesus immediately knew who was behind this. Did you realize that? He didn't say, oh, what the heck's happening here? I mean, either that or else Jesus is a much better waker-upper than me, right? I would have been like groggy, like, what are you waking me up for? Leave me alone. Are we there? You know, oh, shut up and go back. Leave me alone, Simon Peter. Leave me alone, John, you know, those kind of things. But Jesus woke up and immediately knew who was doing this. He knew that Satan, the prince of the power of the air, was trying to take down the entire church at that moment. And he, and he who was there with creation, who created it all, said, quiet, be still. And everything went like that. Don't you think that's cool? I think that's awesome. That's, so, so that's what an amazing God we have, right? Um, and so that is round five. You ready for round six? Yeah. Round six. There we go. Jesus' enemies. Jesus' enemies, yes, uh, opposed him because of jealousy, because he was a threat to their influence and their ministry and their authority. That is true. But I'm also convinced that behind them, there was something greater. Um, We also know that in the scripture that it actually says that Satan entered Judas, that he was was a, a main mover in that.
And in John 8, 44, it tells you what Jesus thought about the Pharisees who were religious leaders who were his enemies. Look what he says this. It's not a great way to win friends and influence people. He said, you are of your father, the devil. That's not a good thing to say to somebody, right? Um, these are religious leaders. These are, these are people who, who were the leaders in here, the Pharisees. And, they, and Jesus would have been a Pharisee by Jewish faith because they believed in an afterlife and in heaven. And he said, hey, you know what? You think you're, you belong to Abraham, but really your daddy is the devil. And what you spend all your time doing is you're spending your, your whole time doing the will of your daddy. If they didn't like him before, they really hate him now. Really, really hate him now. Notice what he said to his enemies. Hey, you, I, you might think that you're going ahead and that you are doing what is right and that you, you follow God, but I'm going to tell you who you really follow is your dad, and you're doing his work. And you're doing his work, all right? And, and, you know, there was this time when the disciples came to Jesus and said, Master, don't you know that the Pharisees were really upset about what you said? And Jesus said, oh, my gosh, I really, I'm so sorry. I need to go and apologize. He never said that, just to let you know. He, that was the last thing. He didn't care because he knew where that source was coming from. And, and time and time again. All right, the final round, round seven. All right, the cross and the resurrection. Many people would see it as defeat. I mean, this is like nowadays wearing a cross around your neck. It would be like wearing an electric chair around your neck, right? It was a source of punishment and, and extreme punishment. And it was a defeat from the standpoint that human Jesus, fully, fully God, fully man, fully human, had been put to death by the, the powers of evil, whether it was through uh, the Pharisees, whether it was through Rome, whether it was through Satan himself. But what Satan did not know is that he actually was overplaying his hand. You see, Satan, everybody else who lived died, right? Because everybody else, except for two people, right, Moses and Elijah, we, we learned that Moses died, but that Michael fought with the bones um, of Moses. So God said, go get him, you keep him, I'm keeping him here. And then Elijah was whisked away, correct, in a chariot of fire. And so what's really cool about that, they're the two people who sat with Jesus, you know, and that kind of cool. But everybody else, everybody else had died. And Satan had that. He had him. Oh, you sinned? Guess what? You get death. You sinned? You get death. Keep on coming, keep on coming, keep on coming. And so I really believe at this point that when Jesus died on the cross, Satan said, yes. Got him. Finally. Finally, don't put off to somebody else what you need to do for yourself. Kill him. Thankfully, we're done. All right? Until we read in Colossians where it says, And on that cross, Christ freed himself from the power of the spiritual rulers and authorities, and he made a public spectacle of them by leading them as captives in a victory procession. Now, what's really interesting is during this time, and um, I was thinking about uh, that movie, Apocalypto. I don't know if anybody's ever seen that movie. Um, that when they capture the people, they take them and they've got them tied up and it's kind of like a noose and they're walking by themselves and they're like this. When, back in those times when you won a battle, what you would do is you take the generals, the leaders, the kings, and anybody else, you would, you would tie them up, you would noose them up, and you'd carry them along on a rope. 
just to go ahead and say, look what we did. You parade him in front of everybody. Oh, here's the great warrior. Oh, look who got him. And it was like a victory, and many times they would go ahead and kill them. What, the, what uh, Paul is saying to us is that's what Jesus did through the cross. That through the cross, he said he, that Satan thought he had won, but no, 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 that's not what happened. Because Jesus said in Revelation, I am the living one. I was dead, and now look, I am alive forever forever and ever, and I hold the keys of hell and death, or the keys of death and Hades, and, and we say, okay, what's that about? Because I, I think about this. Think about this. Jesus died. He was crucified. He was laid in a tomb. His body was, and I think Satan is like, yeah, let's party it up down here, until all of a sudden, knock, knock. Who's there? Jesus. Say what? Because we learn from the scripture, it says he ascended, but he also descended. And he had a purpose. And it says he descended to release the captives. Because there was a lot of righteous people who had died but were still sinful. So Satan had them in captivity. If you want to read more about what, what hell or the afterlife was back then, you can look in Luke chapter 16, 19 through 31, about the rich man and Lazarus. And Jesus is telling the story. And so I want you to visualize this. Here is Jesus. He goes ahead. He walks in, just, he, I don't think he even knocked. He probably kicked in the door, you know, and walked in. And he, his, his body is in the tomb. His inner man, the spiritual nature of Jesus, descends into hell and says, uh, where's Satan? And he's like, I think he's over there, right? And he walks in wherever he is, and he says, I will take those because now I am, I rule over sin and death. Because I'm alive forevermore, and I hold the keys of hell and death. How did he get them? He went and took them from Satan. And Satan no longer had any authority or power on him because Jesus won the victory. Amen. That should excite you a whole bunch. Because guess what? From that moment when he walked in and took those keys, Satan is completely defeated. Yes. Completely defeated. And so Jesus has this. And with that, that's why Matthew tells us, and then the tombs of many righteous people broke open and they were walking around. Because when Jesus rose, he grabbed them people and said, let's go. I'm getting you out of here. And they went along with him. It's really, really cool stuff. I, I, I love this stuff. And so Jesus says, I won the ultimate victory. And one of the things that we see is we need to live from victory. That time and time again, we, Jesus taught us and he taught his disciples about spiritual warfare and victory. Told them to heal the sick and raise the dead, cleanse the lepers and cast out demons. To the apostle Paul, he said that to the 70 that he sent out, he said, I give you the authority to tread upon serpents and scorpions and all over the power of the enemy and nothing shall harm you. Time and time again, Jesus said, you are in a battle, a spiritual battle which you do not see. When, he, when, uh, when uh, Simon Peter was sitting there and he was at the... Uh, at the Last Supper, and he says, oh, everybody else will leave you, but not me. And he said, be careful, Satan's asking to sift you. He knew that behind the scenes, Satan was constantly working and still does today, time and time again. So if that's what he said to us, then what has happened to the church today? Why is it that we do not have more power? Why is it that we don't experience more victory. It's not because it wasn't clear for us because Jesus took care of that. It's not because we are not given the authority to do so. He said, you will do these and greater things in my name. It's largely because we choose not to be part of that warfare via denial or fear or complacency, spirit of sloth or just busyness or just I don't want to talk about it. So why are you sharing this with me, Jack? Because like it or not, 
If you are a Christian, if you are a follower of Christ, you are in the battle. I'm going to say that again. Like it or not, you don't have to sign up. You didn't get drafted. Once you chose Jesus, you are in the battle. You're on the right side, but there's another side that really wants to take you out. And so, as the late Dennis Bennett put it this way so beautifully, he said, those who don't believe in Satan are already prisoners of war in his camp. Whatever the reason, there are several that choose not to fight. And so what I want to do with our remaining time is I want to give you uh, some, how to battle through some princi- with some principles, how to win the battle with a couple things. You ready? Are you ready? Yeah. All right. <laughs> we're done the battle, so okay. We're, we're done that battle. We're in another one. This is our battle. Everybody, ding, ding, ding. There we go. All right. So here we go. Number one, be aware of Satan and his work. The apostle um, Peter said this, uh, be alert, your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. We need to, number one, stop blaming God for what Satan does. Put the blame on Satan when things, things happen, when bad things happen. When we say, oh, God, why did you do this? Then Satan's probably getting a kick out of it. Say, hey, you hear that? They're calling me God. We got to stop saying that. Satan loves to be called God. James tells us, he's the brother of Jesus, and he says, every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights. Every good and perfect thing comes from God. All the other stuff, all the negativity, all the evil comes from Satan, the prince of this world. And we got to stop attributing, allowing people to attribute those things to God. And if we have that understanding of God that he does that, then we have a very shaky understanding and relationship with God. So, But if we believe that, who's really going to be open and loving and want to serve and be passionate and worship about a God who does bad things? God, why did you do this? I'm trying to follow you and you don't understand. Don't you see me down here? Why don't you send somebody? Why don't you do anything? Why is all this bad happening? I was more peaceful before I started to follow you. You ever said or felt that way? Of course we have. All of us. Satan loves it. He loves when we attribute the things that are attributed to the father of lights, to the father of lies. 2 Corinthians 2. Paul picks up in the middle of a long dissertation about what people uh, should do as Christians, and he says this. So that no advantage would be taken of us by Satan, we are not ignorant of his schemes. Sadly, we are. I don't know that Paul was, but I think in today's modern church, we are, are ignorant, not in the fact, just in the fact of not knowing the schemes of the devil. And so we need to know and we need to go ahead and do that. And one of the things that we, we think is that when we follow Jesus, that Satan can't touch us, that Satan can't do anything to us. Read, the, read Job, all right? Um, but also, if that's true, then a third of the New Testament should be completely thrown out because it talks about constantly being in struggles and battle. And Jesus tells us, hey, you're going to be in struggles and battle, but take heart, you're overcomers because I've already won. And right now I'm sending my Holy Spirit to make you um, strong enough to make it through. Right, And so we, we've got to go ahead and look at that. According to Jesus and John, uh, Satan is the thief who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus says, I came that you may have the fullness of life. So why don't I have that abundant life? Because the first part is the thief, Satan, is coming to kill, steal, and destroy. Satan is a defeated enemy, which is worse. Because now he knows I'm defeated. I'm trying to take everybody out that I can. Jesus called Satan a liar and the father of lies, 
And there's lies all over. And how does he love to do it? Within the body of Christ. He lo- Satan uses two, two tools every time. He uses lies and he uses fear. And what fear does, fear locks in evil and blocks out God's grace. And Satan loves to lie to you. He loves it to pry off the armor that you have, the armor of God, time and time again. And if you listen and entertain fear, it won't be long before Satan is going crazy in your life. Number two, put on the full armor of God, the whole armor. And this is an area that I, don't, I think we look at poetically and we don't look at seriously. I don't think the apostle, I know the apostle Paul didn't mean this in a poetic manner, but I think he was trying to show us something that we could say, hey, this is what you need to do. Think about how many times that Satan tried to destroy the Apostle Paul. He was, uh, had rocks thrown at him to kill him. He was left um, dead. He was shipwrecked. He had been betrayed. He had all kinds of worries and concerns that everybody else does and Christians do. He was not walking around in a vacuum. He was in constant battle with the forces of evil. But he was also a man who knew victory in Jesus and lived in that place. So think about it. If we never had a problem, we wouldn't know that God can solve it. And so what does he tell us? And so we're going to rip through this really quickly. I didn't leave any blanks, so if you want to write it somewhere, go ahead. I'm going to give you the full armor of God. Here it is. The belt of truth, which is really funny. What is a belt for? Hold up your pants, which is really funny. My belt broke today before church. So you might get a really interesting sermon if my pants fall down. Maybe that's why I keep pulling up my pants. But the Romans would use it, yes, to hold everything together in place, but it was also used to be decorated to show you um, with plates to show you where the rank was. It also held, um, held your, uh, your weapon as well that was there. And so the belt of truth represents integrity. It's the belt of truth, knowing and doing truth. What God says, not questioning, but going ahead with what he says. Integrity does not mean perfection or always doing the right thing. Nobody would have integrity if that's what it meant. And so in the, the integrity is like a belt that gives you stability that you can say, hey, I'm going to trust in God and I'm going to believe and it's going to hold my life together. Number two is the breastplate of righteousness. There's something underneath the breastplate that needs defending. And these are actual Roman um, Roman replicas. Um, what is it that needs protecting? Your heart. Your heart, right? And so that's what needs to be protected. It is the breastplate of righteousness, which means keeping your motives clear and clean. It means having a pure heart. Jesus said, blessed are the pure in the heart, right? Um, for they shall see God. And so the closer you are, the more pure you are in heart, and that doesn't mean that you're whole, you have never sinned. It means that there is a purity that you, you live out your life as you say you do and, and, and along with accordance with God. And Satan knows that if he can attack you in terms of his heart, he's going to do that. He's going to get you to restrict you, to isolate you, to hurt you, to have you heartbroken, to have you emotional, to have you greedy, to have you, you, know, have you selfish and cold-hearted. When you know people like that, they don't have a loving heart or a pure heart. Many people are walking around with a dead, pierced heart every day of life through bitterness, hurt and resentment because they didn't have a breastplate of righteousness over their lives. We need to put on that breastplate of righteousness to protect our hearts. Number three, shoes. Anybody like shoes? You got to have good shoes. Anybody had a pair of bad shoes? Okay, these are the actual shoes um, that Romans wore and the shoes are ready to proclaim the good news of the gospel of peace. A Roman soldier had shoes. They look like tacks, don't they? But basically, they were called hobnails, and they worked like cleats. 
Um, anybody ever played a sport that you needed cleats and you wore tennis shoes? I always love that when I was coaching baseball and some kid would show up with tennis shoes and they'd slide all around. They'd go off the base and they'd be like, shh, you know, like, like that. Or anybody go golfing or, or anything like that. Um, this is what the Romans wanted. They used these things. They needed that because most of the battles were, were hand-to-hand, were very close. And in order to do that, you needed to go ahead and stand your ground. You don't want to be out there ready to fight and be like slip-sliding away. That's not how it would happen. So we need that. Paul says this represents peace in your life. Uh, you never seen anybody go to battle in Crocs or flip-flops. You know what I mean? Um, and I don't get them. I don't, I don't get either one of them. But anyway, go for it. Um, so what does he mean by share the gospel of peace? If you want to stand in life and under storms, you have to bring yourself at peace. And what he's talking about is peace in relationships. Peace with God, peace with yourself, and peace with others. It's what the great commandment is about. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and love others as yourself. That's how you have peace. I challenge you, if you have relationships that are broken or you have relationships, or if you're not at peace with yourself and if you're not at peace with God, I guarantee you, you're going to be slip sliding through life time and time again. You know, it's kind of hard to keep going when your feet hurt. Anybody just have your feet hurt and you just got to stop? Got to have good shoes. So we got to have good shoes for this battle. Number four, the shield of faith. The shield of faith. Um, what's the shield do? You see these? This is the same shield. See how big it was? And, and if you didn't take that up, you would, they would shoot fiery arrows at you. Like Anybody seen Braveheart? Okay, so you get it. You might not know about this, but you know about Braveheart. And when they got, they shoot them, and they'd all go, right? Remember that? And that was just a smaller one. That's what this did. And often they would coat this sometimes in water so it would actually extinguish those arrows as well. And so what are those fiery darts of the enemy? Doubt, did God really say that? Discouragement, Satan says, hey, you're never going to get any better. You call yourself a Christian? Oh my gosh, look at what you do. Delay, why is it taking so long? Difficulty, why is this so hard? Depression, I feel like just giving up. I'm not worth it. I feel like I can't put any effort into it. Gossip, criticism, personal attacks, hurtful action statements, all are flying around, and they're hitting us, and it's just weakening us time and time again. And so, uh, like someone once said, you can't stop the birds from flying over your head, but you sure can stop them from putting a nest in your hair. Many times we live life and let the, the, the birds of Satan put nests in our hair time and time again. And so that's why we need number five, the helmet of salvation, to protect your head. If you got anything in there that needs protecting. In this world, I'm, ch- I'm wondering whether more people don't do have anything up there that needs protecting. But honestly... What we're saying here is that if you know the Word of God, and if your mind, we're told to focus on the mind of God and, and to be transformed and renewing our mind. If you know that in your mind, this world doesn't like that. And so you need to protect your thoughts. You need to protect the, what you know about the Word of God. I, you know how many times I've seen people grow up in the church and completely turn away because they believe a lie out there and not God's Word? Time and time and time again. We believe that lie, we believe that guilt, we believe all kinds of things, time and time again. The Roman helmet, as you can see there, was strategically made. It protected your head, your face, and your neck, all right? Sometimes they'd have a little bridge down here as well, but that was all protected, and so that, so that if they came across, they would catch and they wouldn't hit you with a direct hit, and you wouldn't get hit in the back of the neck. And also maybe keep you from some sunburn. But whatever. And here on the sides, you wouldn't get the temple. And so they did all that, but it didn't limit your vision. The Apostle Paul is telling us to put on 
the helmet of salvation, to recognize through the word of God that we are, we are saved in Jesus Christ. No matter what the world says, they can keep on trying to attack us, but I'm assured of what I've got under this helmet, and my vision is clear because i got my eyes focused on Jesus. The number six thing is the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. The sword is important because it's the only offensive weapon you have. So, uh, the standard Roman sword was called the gladius. It's short, one-handed sword, about 24 to 30 inches, with a double-edged blade, with a very sharp tip, weighed about three and a half pounds. It, it's short and allowed you to thrust the sword in any direction that was around you at deadly speed. And it was, it was a stabbing sword, so that if you were close up and it was so sharp that you would stab, it would go right through armor. That's how sharp it was. And um, it was such an amazing weapon. And uh, historians talk about how people used it incredibly. There was almost no way to defend yourself if you were close and you didn't have these other things to combat it. And the same thing, when, when we're getting attacked by Satan, unless you have a weapon, the word of God, you're just standing there. Jesus, every time he was attacked, said, yeah, but it's written. Yeah, but it's written. Yeah, but it's written. Yeah, but the word of God says, the word of God says, the word of God says, the word of God says. And each time Satan is trying to lie to you, you got that helmet of salvation on and you got the sword of spirit to come back with the word of God. The problem is we need to get into it and we need to read it and we need to not only get into the word, but have the word get into us. The last thing that always gets left out is pray in the spirit on all occasions. Sometimes you don't know what to pray for. Sometimes you don't know what's attacking you. Sometimes you don't know why, but you just need to pray and pray. Daniel just kept praying, just kept praying. I love my, uh, my dad's quote. He said, when you do all this, he said, all you become is a transmitting station for the Holy Spirit's broadcast. So we have, be aware of Satan and his work. Put on the full armor of God and claim your authority over Satan in the name of Jesus. We're told that there is power in the name of Jesus, that the name of Jesus, at the end of it all, in Philippians, every knee shall bow, those in heaven, those on earth, those under the earth. I don't know how far, but under, but they're going to have to do it too. That means, Jesus, that means angels, human beings, fallen angels, demonic spirits, Satan, everybody has to bow and say, you're Lord. Every single person. Isn't it funny how you can use the name of God, you can use the name of spirit, you can say uh, all those kind of things, but when you invoke the name of Jesus, people have a problem with it. Because it's the greatest name that has ever been said, and it has power in the name of Jesus. Our last one here today is, we, the final thing is to engage Satan in combat. Don't just sit there and take it. Get ready to do battle. In James it says, so submit to the authority of God, resist the devil. In other words, stand firm against him, and he's going to take off. The problem is we forget the first part. We want to resist the devil, but we forgot to submit to God, or we don't submit to God. And that happens time and time again. And, you know, I often think about this. If we don't, God says, submit to me first. Because if we don't submit to him first, then we say, Satan, you know, I, I'm Jack. I've been a Christian for a number of years. I've read my Bible through several times. I'm a leader in the church. I've, I've packed three boxes for Operation Christmas Child. Um, I've done all this kind of good stuff. And Satan says, I am not who the heck you think you are. I'm going to put a whooping on you. But then I say, you know what, Satan, I, I, I'm, I'm a mess, but guess what? In the name of Jesus. And he says, whoa, 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 stop. Stop. Last time I saw that sucker, he came in and took my keys. Submit yourself to God. Put on the full armor of God. Lay claim 
to the name of Jesus and stand in authority as a child of God. And then you can, when you say that to Satan, you don't have respect for me and you shouldn't because I'm nothing. But I'm an ambassador of Almighty God. Amen. Bought by the blood of Jesus. I've come to you in the name of Jesus Christ. He's headed for the door. Because when he wants to remind you of your present, remind him of his future. Whenever it is that you find Satan at work, lay claim to the promises of God and invoke the name of Jesus and see if something doesn't happen. I'm going to tell you as parents, often there's been times where Satan loves to attack little children. I've, I've seen over the years many kids waking up with just terrors night after night after night. Satan, I believe, loves to attack them because they're vulnerable and they're weak and they don't know what defenses are. They're impressionable and they're defenseless. And sometimes you just have to lean on, put on the full armor of God and go in and say, you know what, in the name of Jesus, Satan, I rebuke you and your work and disturbing my child's sleep. I command you to leave this room and leave him alone. He's covered in the blood of Jesus. And I put this child under that covering and I forbid you to do it anymore. Get the heck out in Jesus' name. And, I get, and it's amazing to see what happens. Since some made-up thing, we are in a battle. We are in a battle. I can't say, Satan, the Bible says, and some people believe, and if you wouldn't mind just leaving my kid alone, he's going to say, yeah, give me more. You know, I, I wasn't in the military, but everybody I know who has been in the military, thank you, um, basic training. I understand this is a little bit of hell, right? Anybody think basic training was really difficult? Okay, why? They put you through hell so that when you get on the battlefield, you react and you're ready. You've been trained. Whatever comes at you, you are, you are trained to use any weapon that you have. You know how to use it and you know how to use it well. And you fight with every bit of training that you've ever had. This is what we're here to do in the body of Christ. Why? Because Satan is a liar. He will plant lies. He will use fear. What you need to know is when you have submitted yourself to Jesus, nothing can injure you. Oh, he's not going to go away, but nothing will injure you. Don't listen to the lie and don't listen to fear. In John 4, it says and reminds us, greater is the one who is in you than he that is in the world. When you declare yourself as a child of God, when you declare yourself as an ambassador for Christ, when you declare yourself to be the temple of the Holy Spirit, and a, as my dad said, a broadcasting station for the Holy Spirit's ministry to the world, Satan wants to pull out all the stops to do everything possible to short-circuit your life and calling. Don't let him get away with it. He's a thief, he's a liar, and he comes to kill and steal and destroy. Don't you love that he comes to kill, steal, and destroy, and Jesus stole the keys from him? If you don't recognize this in your home, in your church, your place of business, and invoke and demand the name of Jesus, submitting yourself to God, that he takes care of your family, your church, your place of business, and your community, then you're going to be living under it all rather than on top of it all. Above all else, remember this. As believers, we do not fight for victory. We fight from victory. Jesus has overcome. The victory is his. Worthy is the lamb who was slain. Jesus has already won. And as the Apostle Paul, someone who was very 
very uh, comfortable and understood spiritual battle, he wrote this as a closing in the book of Romans. book of Romans is one of the greatest books in all of Scripture. And Paul knew about spiritual warfare, and he says this as one of his last closing things. And he says, but the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. In other words, what he's saying is, by the power of Jesus, he's given us back the dominion that we were supposed to have. That is spiritual warfare. You ask about it, and that's it. It ain't pretty, but we already won. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, I'm going to ask that you stand. And um, and let's just, uh, I know there's some of us today. And some of us for a while have been, have been dealing with something. Like, you don't know what it is, but you're just getting beaten up. Like, you just feel like you're in a season where one thing and then the next, you're just getting hammered by, by just evil and just stuff. Like, you may, you may have somebody in your life that isn't Satan, but probably related to him. You know what I mean? Um, and so you're just dealing with that, and you're just struggling, and and you just don't know how to, how to get out of it. And you're, you, you may be having a child that's dealing with something that you just don't know what to deal with. You yourself may not be at peace with yourself. You may not be at peace with God, and you're just trying to, to figure everything out. And just submit to the, to the Lord. Just submit to him first. All right? So let's just worship. God, uh, and pray. God, I just thank you for your word. I thank you that you love us so much that you didn't leave us here and just say, hey, good luck. But when we messed it all up, when we, we gave rule to, to Satan who didn't deserve it and who manipulated it and wanted the praise and honor and glory for himself, and, and, he, and he tried to, to thwart God's plan time and time again, I praise, I praise you and I thank you that you didn't give up on us. You didn't give up on us, but you loved us even more. And you sent your son, Jesus. Now thank God that he, he suffered on a cross and died went down into hell and took the keys of hell and death because I'm a sinner. I'm a mess. And by my strength and by my good works and by my thing, I bust hell wide open. But my name's in the Lamb's Book of Life. My name, I'm a child of God. I've been paid for. I'm precious in your sight. As much as Satan hates me, you love me. And so, God, right now, I claim your Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus to fill this place. I claim the blood of Jesus on anybody here who's struggling and who just can't find a way out, that they'll stop believing the lies of the father of lies, and they'll put on the helmet of salvation and use the sword of the Spirit, and they'll put on the breastplate of righteousness that, unlike my belt, it don't break, the belt of truth that it's, it's around to keep everything together, that their feet are in readiness in the gospel, that they're going to stop slipping around. And God, that sword of the Spirit, that sword of the Spirit will just attack Satan. Every time he tries to tell us that you're worthless, you're nothing, you say, I am a child of God and my Father loves me. Anytime that he says that you're just a mistake, you can say, no, I am fearfully and wonderfully made by God himself. That my Father loves me he filled me with his spirit, and he's got a plan for my life. And so Satan, in the name of Jesus, get packing. 
before he takes something else from you. And so, God, I just pray that your Holy Spirit just do miraculous works that we can see just as the disciples, just as Paul and those in Acts, just like the 72, and so many over the years that we will see signs and wonders as we are taking out the gospel of peace in Jesus' mighty name. Father, send your blessing upon everyone here, upon the gifts that they give to further your kingdom. It's not about us. Jesus, come back today and we're good for it. But most importantly, God, may we serve you until the day you return. In Jesus' mighty name, we give you praise. And everybody says, amen. amen.
Great and awesome, spear-filled, battle-ready week in Jesus' name. Amen.